Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be here. Thank you for having me and welcoming me into your time of worship together and into your church. It really is a delight for me to be here. Uh, now that I'm not a local church pastor, uh, I will say I miss preaching. So thank you for giving me the opportunity <laughs> to step back in and shake some rust off. Um, as Dave said, our friendship goes back uh, several years, and what a privilege for me to come and see the fruit of his vision and the way in which that you have um, come together to plant renew. It's a church I love. I love your mission. I love your heart. And in that way, it's really good for me to come to worship. I feel like the, the circle has come, come full circle, uh, and I get to be with you. So thank you. Um, as, as I'm going to be talking about tables of blessing in a second, but I want to share just a little bit about Circlewood, where I'm coming from, where I'm coming from. So if you can just share, that's our, our logo there. It's uh, a new organization. We're, we're only about seven months old, but it grows out of a, an existing one called Mustard Seed Associates uh, through the work of Tom and Christine Sunning, who are here in Seattle. And their, their, uh, their calling is to look at innovative ways Christians can look at the, the, the trends in culture and the future and say, how do we follow Christ with, the, with what's going on? And out of that, uh, Circlewood has emerged, and our mission is to empower followers of Jesus to care for the earth in ways that deepen their discipleship and cultivate God's comprehensive shalom. And I want to say just a little bit about where that came from. Uh, so I am a cradle Christian, having grown up in the church, and... Uh, was called to ministry as a teenager, uh, as an evangelist, which meant for me asking the question, well, if I'm meant to share the good news, what is the good news? What is the good news of Jesus Christ? And as I learned more about that and studied that and felt uh, God pulling me in different directions to, to explore different aspects of that, I always felt like, hey, what I learned is great, but there's more. You ever done that when you're reading scripture, when you're, when you're growing in your faith, you think, wow, this is great, but ah, there's more. There's always more to God. And there's been a growing sense in my life that while I was formed in the faith in a way that really understood the personal dimensions of faith, how Jesus died for me, how I was meant to follow church, follow Jesus in my life, that was just bedrock in my life. And then I began to be exposed to the social aspects of the faith seeing how God calls us to reconcile with, with one another and bring cultures and ethnicities together and be a people of peace and had experience with that. And, I, and still I felt there's more to it than that. And I'd say over the last decade, I discovered the ecological peace, that God's work in Christ is for the entire creation. And again, looking at scripture and seeing it all over from Genesis to Revelation and this growing sense that God was calling me to address that, that it seemed like, like if faith was a circle, there was one missing piece. So circle, what our tagline is, bringing faith full circle. We don't want people to lose the personal and the social aspects of the gospel, but we want them to put the ecological part in as well. What happens when we put care for the earth, bring it into the center of discipleship? That's what circle what is about. And part of that early journey has meant a partnership with you here at Renew, helping get the community garden started and think through with you uh, what that might mean for the church and how we can connect the church to the community uh, and to the land. So that was a picture of us back in the fall. If you can go back one, that was a picture of us in the fall outside, uh, just here, uh, thinking and dreaming together. And so it's nice to be with you uh, together. I'll talk a little bit about that in 
in a moment. Uh, my understanding is that you're in the BLESS series, and you've done two weeks, right? Uh, BLESS being, how do we be people who share the good news with others uh, in our context? And B, I think, is B in prayer. L is listen with care. Is that right? And E is eat together. So I get E, eat together. <laughs> yes. And I, when, when I learned that, I thought, what? wow, this fits so well with what Circlewood is about, which is about making connections uh, with the earth and with faith. So this is perfect. And to eat together, I'll say from the start, is about blessing. It's about giving and receiving blessing. So it fits perfectly well with what you're doing. To start, I want you to think about the meals that you experienced when you were growing up in your house. I want you to think in your mind about the table or the various tables that you sat at. Can you picture your kitchen table or your dining room table where your family ate together? Or maybe they didn't eat together. What was mealtime like? Who was around that table? And what was the conversation like? When you think back to meals in your home, were they a good thing? A hard thing? You spent a lot of time together? Were meals prepared? Were they brought in? What was it like? And think about that and hold that in the back of your mind as I speak to you this morning. I grew up in a house, uh, I have four siblings, uh, my parents, and then we had a grandmother who lived with us and grandparents who lived next door. So our kitchen table was crammed. That's what I would say. It wasn't a big kitchen. Uh, the table barely fit and then we just put all the chairs around it. So every mealtime was a little bit cramped. And that meant that at mealtime, at least one person spilled their drink. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, that was my sister, Sarah. She still can't live it down. She's 40 years old, and we always say when we get around for a family meal, oh, Sarah, watch out. <laughs> uh, sometimes mealtimes were hard, with five kids, two parents who were working. Uh, lots of stress, lots of anxiety. Sometimes there were tears and fights around the table, but mostly I remember laughter and just the give and take of conversation. It was a place of blessing and connection. And I hope that we'll see it today is that eating is perhaps the primary way that we as human beings connect. Connect with God, connect with each other, and connect with the earth, God's creation. And I think what we'll see is it's a central way in Scripture to understand the work of Jesus, eating. And hopefully we'll see it's a central way that you and we can share the story of Jesus with others when we eat together. So what I'd like to do is just kind of do a journey through Scripture kind of quickly, but tracing eating together from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So it's going to be a little bit of a sprint, but, but what I want you to see is that theme of eating together is woven all throughout the scriptural text. And then we will pause and we'll read the Zacchaeus text again when, when we get there. So don't worry about following along. You can if you want. I'll try to say what scripture I'm talking about. Uh, but we'll begin right in Genesis with chapter, chapter 2. Of course, you know, the story of scripture begins in the Garden of Eden, which we could call the Garden of Eden. Really. Because food, food is so central to it. So central to the creation of human beings being placed in this garden. This is what we read. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. 
and in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What we see is that when God created human beings, he provided for them, that we were eating creatures, that there was some way we could connect with that garden that provided for us, that just in putting us there, we see that God is about blessing, about providing, about flourishing, and connecting not just with God, but with that garden. And it wasn't just provision because there was a task involved. We read a little bit later in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden Eden to work it, to take care of it. And what Genesis 1 tells us is that kind of work was meant to be spread over the whole earth, so that the whole earth became like a flourishing garden, where lots of things were living to their fullest potential in connection to God and to each other. A provision and a task. And yet within this garden, there's some limits. We read in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Have you ever wondered why that's the boundary that God set up in the Garden of Eden? Why not just say you can go here, but don't cross this boundary? Why is it about eating the fruit of this particular tree? I think it's just to reinforce how central the act of eating is to who we are as human beings, how connective that is. So it's no wonder that when Adam and Eve disobey and they take from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that there are consequences that affect all of those relationships that the original creation had. That when they do that, no longer are they in that good, solid relationship with God. They hide from Him. No longer are they in that solid relationship with one another. They blame each other for what happened. No longer are they in good relationship with the creatures of the garden. Eve blames the snake. No longer are they in good relationship with the actual land. From now on, they have to leave Eden, and it will take more and more energy to get, their, get the fruit of the ground out from agriculture. All of those life-giving connections that God set up in creation begin to be torn apart. And at the center of that is the act of Eden. So it's no wonder that when God in God's great mercy and justice and wisdom and love begins to piece that world back together, eating together is going to be at the heart of it. Now you've talked, I think, about Abraham, the call of Abraham. And that's in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. When God wanted to bring all these connections back together, wanted to heal what was been broken, wanted to put people back into that life-giving relationship with him, with each other, and with the whole of creation, he sends Abraham to land, to soil, to a place where they can cultivate the earth and bring about the kind of produce and goods that can feed one another, and that is going to be a central part of the life of his people and his descendants. And as we read, the promise is that God will make Abraham into a great nation and bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. To every blessing we receive from God, God invites us to extend that to others. And nothing does that more than the act of evil. Which is why just a few chapters later, in Genesis chapter 18, three visitors come to see Abraham. They just appear out of nowhere. And it's hard to know, is this a test to see if Abraham's going to be a person of blessing or not? 
doesn't say, but it seems that way because these three people come by and they're headed through. And what does Abraham do? He says, if I have found favor in your eyes, don't pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go about your way. Very well, they say, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent of Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of your finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and scheduled, selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who prepared, prepared it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. He fed them. They ate together. He was a blessing. And there at the heart of it is food, eating together. Now, if you know the biblical story from there, you know that eventually his descendants end up in slavery in Egypt, where they have to work the land not as a blessing to themselves and others, but as a blessing to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, the Pharaoh in Egypt, is not an external blesser. Pharaoh's a hoarder about centralizing power, about taking what is right for him and for Egypt. And eventually God calls Moses to go and help liberate the people. And it's no wonder that in that great act of liberation, when God brings them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, that they commemorate that time by eating together in the first Passover meal, where the things that God provides for their flourishing will be the symbols of their liberation. And in that shared meal together, they'll remember, we were slaves in Egypt, but God liberated us and set us free to be the blessing God has called us to be. And when they go out into the wilderness and they're remembering Egypt fondly now because wilderness is a hard place to live, it's no wonder that the first miracle that God does for them is provide food in the form of manna and quail. And they're to gather it together and prepare it together and eat it together. And in that, remember, it's God who provides and will provide for them. And eventually they make it into the land of Israel, what was promised to Abraham. And they begin to settle down and cultivate the soil and grow things. And if you've ever read Leviticus, I know it's high on people's biblical reading list, <laughs> Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you know there are very strict laws about what they can and can't eat. And they're very confusing to us because they come from an ancient culture. But essentially God is saying, if you want to live right in the land, if you want to be blessed and be a blessing, here are some rules for how to tend to your life together and pay attention to what you're putting in your body and who you're eating with. This was important to them. And a lot of scholars will say, if you look at those laws carefully, there's definitely a tendency to help the people avoid violence to themselves, to their crops and the land, to the animals that they're cultivating. There's, there's, there's a kind of consensus among scholars that this was a way for them to keep everything flourishing. It was also a way for them to keep, keep themselves distinct as opposed to the practices of the people around them, which tended to be more violent and destructive. But as you know, those kind of practices that set you apart from others can, can be distorted over time. And if there are things, you know, think about your family or your, the churches you, you've been on, the things that make you kind of special, sometimes they can be used not so much to say, here's who we are and here's how we can bless but here's who we are so we can keep others out. And those things that are meant to be doors and windows into God's blessing become walls that shut people out. And if you've read the Gospels, we're at the Gospels now, you know that's much of what Jesus entered into. 
Not all of his fellow Israelites practiced their religion that way, but a number of them did, with a high emphasis on how to be separate and keep others away, and be distinct and pure and holy, all of which came from a good place, but over time had been distorted. So Jesus comes into that and says, okay, the kingdom of God is here, in me, in a special way. In me, God is going to bring back all those life-giving connections that were ripped apart through Adam and Eve and subsequent human sin. That's going to happen. And when his disciples were asking, well, what does that look like? What does the kingdom of God look like? How do we know that? One of the primary ways he talked about it was about a feast. And Luke, he says, in the kingdom of God, many will come from east and west and north and south and sit at the table in God's kingdom and eat together. What a great image for how God is bringing things back together. A huge, huge feasting table. And he practiced what he preached. I mean, there's so many things in the gospel where Jesus is eating and drinking, so much that his opponents called him a glutton and a drunkard. (laughs) A glutton and a drunkard. Jesus of Nazareth, that's all you do is party. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Well, part of it wasn't just that he ate and drank a lot. It was who he was eating and drinking with. So let's read the Zacchaeus story once again. And I want you to hear this story now again with this idea of eating together as such a central act of what God is about in the world. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Jesus is essentially saying, you're inviting me over to dinner. Did you know that? I got This has to happen. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. (laughs) But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Think about that. This scene. I must come to your house. I must sit at your table. I must eat with you. And today salvation has come to your house. Why is that? What happened to Zacchaeus? And did you notice he called him a son of Abraham? Because Zacchaeus, this wealthy tax collector who was about hoarding for himself, now just says, because of Jesus, And Jesus' invitation into my home, I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to fix what's wrong. And all those life-giving connections, those things that sin breaks apart in our lives and in our society and earth, begin to get put back together in Zacchaeus. Today, salvation has come to your house. Imagine what it was like to sit around the table in Zacchaeus' house that day. Now, for others, it was too much. Too much for Jesus. He was stretching the boundaries. He's a glutton, a drunkard. He eats with sinners. He's got to stop. And as the forces against Jesus began to 
coalesce. And as he saw that his, his reckoning with that was coming near, and he heads up to Jerusalem in the last week of his life, isn't it any wonder that the night before he dies, he shares a meal with his disciples? And it's that original Passover meal. Only he takes the elements of that meal and shifts the meaning just a little bit and says, when you eat this meal together, now remember everything that happened way back in Egypt, but now you're going to remember me. And when you take this bread, you're going to think of me, my body broken for you. And when you drink this wine, you're going to think of my blood poured out for you and for the world. Jesus is doing that very intentionally. Because when we eat together, it brings together everything that, about who God is and what God is doing in the world. Of course, that meal didn't stop him from being crucified. But as we've just come out of the Easter, Easter Sunday, we know that Jesus rose again. And when Jesus rises from the dead, I love it. Nobody knows, nobody knows what's happened. It's all this crazy confusion. And when they see him, they don't always recognize him. And I love that story in Luke 24 where he's on this road to Emmaus. Two of his disciples, they're going home. They're despondent. You know, Jesus is dead. There's been some rumors that people have seen him, but they don't know what to make of it. But they're going home, and they meet a stranger on the road. And the stranger starts to talk to him about Scripture. Starts to say, oh, those things in Jerusalem? Don't you know that's kind of what God was doing all along? And they're intrigued, but they still don't quite get it. And when they reach their destination in Emmaus, the stranger appears to be going by, but they stop him and say, come in, come in and eat with us, just like Abraham did with three strangers long ago. And I love this moment. It says when Jesus, who was their guest, switches and becomes the host, takes some bread and breaks it before them. And we're told once he does that, their eyes were open and they recognized him. It's around a table, sharing bread. That's not a coincidence. So, of course, the other scripture we read today from Acts chapter 2, those early Christians, when they got together, what was one central thing they did? They broke bread together every single day. It connected them. It brought them together. It reminded them who they were, who God was, what God was about. Healing all the things that had been broken in creation. And when they begin to sense that maybe God is is doing something even beyond the Jewish people. Their leader, Peter, has a dream. And in the dream, he sees all the different kinds of foods he was never supposed to eat as a good Jew. And you know what God says? Take and eat. And he goes and he finds some Gentiles, and he eats with them, gets in a lot of trouble with the people back in Jerusalem, but eventually they see God is doing a new thing and inviting everybody into the party, everybody to the feast. And they begin to eat together around their tables and share the good news about Jesus. So finally we reach Revelation. Everybody with me still? Yes. <laughs> In our spirit through scripture? You'll be, you won't be surprised now, I hope, that when John, a follower of Jesus, has this remarkable vision of how this whole thing is going to end. Where God is bringing this whole project of creation and human being and things and salvation and redemption, where is it all headed? In his great vision, of course, he sees the city of Jerusalem coming down from heaven, heaven and earth being united in a big renewed creation, and in the very last chapter of the Bible, we read this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street in the city. 
And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Think about that. Begins in a garden, ends in a garden city wonderland. And that fruit is there to be eaten and enjoyed together. The leaves are there for the healing of the nations. The Bible begins with eating together and ends with eating together. So what I hope that we see this morning is that eating together builds and restores the life-giving connections that God placed in creation so that all things would flourish. When we eat together in that intentional way, we're connected again deeply to God. We're reminded of Jesus and everything that he is, who he was, who he is for us, what he's done and what he's doing. We give a place, we make room for strangers that God wants to bring in to the feast. And we can give thanks for the earth and creation which sustains us each and every single day. When we eat together, we're reminded that we're here for a purpose and that creation is good and that no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is going on in our communities, no matter what is going on in the world, God's original blessing over creation that it was good remains true. Amen. And when we eat together, we also draw others into that story. We draw people into what God is doing. So our question for today as we think about eating together is this. How might we offer our tables to God? I want to give you three ways to do that. That's what preachers do, right? Three ways in which we can offer our tables to God. The first is simply make room for at least one more person from time to time. Eat with others when you can. When you're at work, if there's a common place to eat together, don't eat at your desk. Try to find someone to eat with. If you're in school, find a classmate. But especially in your home, there is something very distinctive and meaningful about bringing people into your home to eat with. And this means that you must be vulnerable. You and I must be vulnerable. Because when we invite people into our home, we're inviting them into our lives. As much as we clean it up <laughs> before they come, they're going to see things that we may not want them to see. There might not be, it might not be as polished as the life that we present when we're out in public. It requires being vulnerable. Zacchaeus had to be vulnerable. But Jesus was vulnerable too, wasn't he, when he invited him over? himself over. <laughs> he made himself vulnerable to attack from his enemies. Eating together can make us feel vulnerable. Opening your home can make you feel vulnerable. And though we come from different cultures and places here, we are part of a Pacific Northwest culture that really doesn't do that a whole lot. It's countercultural to open up your home. You have to be vulnerable. And the encouragement from Scripture is to invite the vulnerable. Have your friends over. Yes. Have feasts with them? Yes. But make a place for the vulnerable, whatever that might mean. Last Christmas Eve, I was done with the Christmas Eve service. And if you're a pastor, you know that Christmas is your hardest time. It's the most exhausting season of the year. I always told people, I don't really start enjoying Christmas until that Christmas Eve service is done. It's just a long, long string of things to do. All wonderful, but exhausting. And it was true this past Christmas. Finished the Christmas Eve service, and I was looking forward to just going home, 
being with my family. We had a little, we had a meal ready, and Emily began, my wife Emily begins inviting people over. <laughs> and she's seeing people in our congregation who don't have family in the area. Oh, yeah, why don't you come and join us? Oh, why don't you come and join us? And, and I was up for that. I was tired, but okay, let's do it. And I will tell you, it is one of the most memorable Christmases we've ever had. To be around that table on that night with people who might have gone home alone and wouldn't do anything but just eat and talk and enjoy the night. Make room for others as you're able. And when you do, the second thing is to focus on relationships, not perfection. That can be hard for a lot of people. You want to bring people over. You want to, them to see the best of you, right? Your kids are going to be perfectly behaved. The food is going to be perfectly prepared on perfectly washed fine china. Well, that's not real life, is it? That's a recipe for someone to spill something immediately before you've even begun. Focus on relationships, not perfection. The goal in eating together is to share yourself and what you have not an image of what you are not or what you don't have. I have learned this from visiting a community uh, just over the border in Canada called Arasha. And this is a group of people that have places all over the globe of Christians involved in conservation of the natural world. And at their site in Surrey, British Columbia, uh, they welcome people all the time in. And they're always sharing meals around a table. And I want you to read, this is one of their founders, this is kind of how she described it. At an Arasha Center, we don't have a chapel, we have a table. The meal is a place of community, fellowship, and invitation. Conversations range from favorite films to theology to birds sighted in the morning, bird walk, to the number of eggs laid by the hens that morning, to more personal family histories. The table is a safe place, a neutral ground for dialogue, knowing, and communion. A natural place for that. I also think a table is a natural place for evangelism. Inviting people over or eating with them is not the time where you have to be prepared to lay out the whole purpose of Christianity before them in three or four laws. It's not. It's simply to invite them into your life and see what God will do. There's a time and a place for that, but around the table, it's just about connecting and seeing what God is about. Finally, the third thing I would like you to do is support your community garden. It started. Yeah. I think it can be an incredible witness to what you are about here at Renew. I love that name, Renew. Isn't that what God is about? God is about renewing relationships. God is about bringing church, community, and creation together. That is what God is about. And your community garden, in a small beginning way, can be a picture, a symbol of that. Support it with all that you've got. In closing, I want you to think again of the table around which you ate as you were growing up. Whether it was good, or bad, what it was like. I want you to think about the table around which Christ invites you. A communion table. And today's communion table has symbols of gardening as a reminder of what you're doing outside. Think about the table of Christ. You've been invited. God has blessed you and called you to be a blessing. And around that table, Jesus has offered himself to you day in and day out. Finally, think of the tables you eat at now. Kitchen table in your home, your office, all those tables. 
Offer them to God and open them to others so that they will be tables of blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful this morning for a chance to look at your word and see all the ways in which you have blessed us. Blessing us each and every day with the gift of food from your creation, the gift of fellowship with one another in the body of Christ, the gift of friends and work in the community, the gift of tables to sit around and celebrate and feast. Today I pray that you would speak to each one of us here in ways and speak to us the ways in which we could open up our tables, offer them to you, and share your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.